My name is Michelle Marguerite Marquez. I was born in Scotland and I now live in Barbados. This is a podcast for purpose-driven top performers. You see, I've coached some of the most successful, fascinating and talented people in the world. I have an innate ability to see the potential that most cannot see for themselves. My intuition tells me when to challenge people's thinking and when I've found the fertile ground underneath. I ask the kind of questions most wouldn't ask. I say the kind of things that most people wouldn't dare and nothing is off limits. I'm really good at sniffing out what my clients try to hide and I don't stop until we get deep. I coach around thinking. We have a real conversation. You think one way. I bring expansiveness. New thinking happens and suddenly your whole world changes in an instant. This podcast is called The Undeniable Leader because high-level thinking creates undeniable leaders and that changes everything. Hi, Steve Sims. Thank you so much for joining me on The Undeniable Leader. I have to tell you, I'm so incredibly excited about this. I'm really honoured that you said yes. Thank you so much. Um, It's a pleasure. Thank you. So from LA and Barbados, we're having this amazing conversation. What would make this an extraordinary conversation for you, Steve? Well, the beautiful thing about it is that other people can eavesdrop this. You know, that's the whole point of a podcast. So in the conversation, it may bring up subjects, conversation, uh, um, that they've gone, oh, hang on, I hadn't thought about that. So for me personally, and I don't want to sound like mumbo Joey, uh, jumbo kind of spiritual, but I'm hoping a conversation between two professionals is going to get someone else to think and react differently. Perfect. Absolutely. So do you have a a challenge or a topic in mind that we can get stuck into? I think there's only one topic and subject that that matters, uh, to be completely blunt. Um, And that's what I focus my entire life on, which is the the power and benefit and ROI of a relationship. Um, And I believe that uh, covid COVID has been a great excuse and, and line of bullshit for a lot of people. There's so many people that COVID's come along and they've gone, oh, I can't connect with my friends. Oh, I'm not getting out. Oh, I'm missing out on this, 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 this. this. Bottom line of it is we started outsourcing our friendship when Friendster was invented. There's probably a lot of people out there going, Friendster? What the hell? Friendster came out before MySpace and then we had Facebook so Facebook wasn't the first, but yeah. now we give birth to a child. We don't phone up our mates and go, hey, I'm a dad. Let's go and have a beer. We post it on Facebook and pray 2,000 people like the picture of our shriveled baby. You know, it's just ridiculous. So I think COVID is, uh, is, is been a very apt excuse for a problem that we actually already had. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So how have you been able to, um, you know, still thrive during COVID? 
well, this is going to upset people and alienate people or maybe just get them to turn off. But my COVID year, four times my biggest income earner. Okay, I did way more in COVID because people were more receptive. People were more in demand. You imagine you've got the only stand selling water in the desert. Yeah. You know, last year, everyone's like, oh, I need connection. I need this. I need this. I found alternate ways to do it. As soon as COVID uh, appeared, I went through a list of my favorite books and started sending my clients books. Nice. Going, hey, you've got time to get smarter. This did this for me. This could do this for you. I, I, I know Elon Musk. I've worked with Richard Branson. I've worked with the Vatican. This can help you. So I started showing that I cared, and I started putting more energy, effort, and humor into the way of the conversation. Because let's be serious. Last year was all about bad headlines, wasn't it? Yeah. You know, COVID, death, it's scary. Even now, you know, most of us are getting vaccinated. But that, oh, the Delta, you know, if you're vaccinated, the new Delta variant doesn't get you. But do they lead with that? No, they go, oh, the Delta's on the rise. Get vaccinated, stop talking about it. So everything last year was doom and gloom. Politics, I'm in America, and I'm sure you guys have seen all of the Trump and the riots and the Me Too campaign and Black Lives Matter. These are all difficult conversations that we need to have, but they all come from an area of depression and anger. So the one thing that was missing last year was connectivity and humor. So I would send comic books. I would send funny pictures, like literally humorous postcards to my clients and my contacts and my prospects. I would also send packs of um, postcards to my clients going, hey, you like the last one I sent you. Send these to 10 people you like that you haven't spoken with. You know, so I was offering them ways. Um, I was doing a lot more Zooms. One thing that we did last year, and you can't plan for genius. It just happens. Um, Not calling myself a genius, but what we ended up doing became somewhat. Um, I said to everyone, look, LA's been closed down as of March last year. And this was like the first month. I said, every Friday night, I like to sit in the garden, pour myself an old-fashioned, and reflect on how the week went. You know, it's what I like to do. I've got a nice garden up here in LA, so I've got you know, a nice view. Do you want to join me? Okay. I'll, I'll put it on Zoom, pour your own drink, and we'll hang for an hour. We'll both reflect on it. I can't go down to the bar. And here's the dumb thing. I always did this in my garden, so I never went out. But I thought, hey, maybe it would help if you reflected. So we started doing that, and the first one, I think we got like 50 people turn up. But then we started getting hundreds. And what we did was every two weeks, we did a virtual happy hour where there was no pitching and plugging of any services or products. You were in, and we had a few people on the go, well, actually, my course, don't deleted we were just and it was funny because everyone else would cheer the second someone got deleted Um, but we wouldn't allow any pitching or promotion 
Um, but you would be randomly picked on and you had to come up with a dad joke. You oh, know? wow. And this became, it, the dad joke was because I didn't want to have to host an hour, you know? I just wanted to drink and reflect. I didn't want to be on. Um, yeah. But all of a sudden, it'd be like, Susie! And we'd just quickly pick, Susie, unmute yourself, give us a dad joke. <laughs> and we would just pick on these random people and they would be like, um, a man walks into a bar, ouch. And it'd be, it, it, would be, it would be that caliber of bad jokes. Um, oh. But we started that, started that just as like a little thing. We carried it every two weeks all the way through to this year. And there were people texting each other and, and putting it in Facebook. You've got to go and join this virtual happier. We had people, we were like, why are you here? And they'd be like, oh, a friend of mine, Jimmy, heard about this and I wanted to be here. And I'm like, right, you're a newbie. Tell us a joke. You know, and it would just be, and it was, it really took off. And it wasn't supposed to, but it just morphed in, into, this, into this thing. So we, we adapted and we edited. And let's be, let's be blunt. Isn't that what entrepreneurs fundamentally do? Yeah. You know? The richest guy on a rainy day is the guy selling the umbrella. So the second COVID came up, there were two types of people in the planet. There was the ones that were posting on Facebook, hey, what shall I watch on Netflix? Yeah. That ain't me. No. And then there was the others that were turning around going, right, I've now got time. How can we support How each other? Yeah. Use it? So that was it. So I, I pivoted. I tried, tried a bunch of things. Uh, some failed. Some exploded. Um, and it was just it was just fun to be tested with creativity. How can I make this humorous? How can I make? And a friend of mine, Sean Stevenson, that passed away a few years ago, he said, um, "How do you make it work for you and not to you?" Yes. And I have to admit, when COVID popped up, I thought of Sean Stevenson that always used to be uh, um, on a wheelchair, not in it. And uh, how his disability had happened for I him. I love that. And and I just thought, all right, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna make this work for me, and I did, and it it did, and my clients, I helped them, and it was just great. Yeah, I totally get it. When um, COVID first hit Barbados in March last year, also, I had exactly the same kind of reaction. How do I make the absolute most? of this lockdown. It was never, yeah. how do I get through this lockdown or how do I cope? It was, how do I actually make the most of, we don't know how long this is gonna last for. And I, very similar, I buckled down, I did some different things, you know, I really stretched myself. And, and it's true, th those people, we probably will piss some people off and that's okay. Because that's there fine. is, there is two mentalities. There, there are those that bunker down and say, right, I'm going to thrive no matter what. And there's the others that go, oh, gosh, how, how, how do I do this? You know, what can, I, what, what can I binge on Netflix, like you say? And I, I've just thankfully never been one of those people. No, so you, Steve, you're right. It's weird. It's weird. But, yeah, we, we have the choice. We actually have the choice. Um, yeah. And we took it. 
yeah, we always have a choice. And that and that's the hardest thing to try and get people to see, isn't it? Yeah. You know, that we always have a choice, no matter what. So what would you say that's happened in your life that's given you that much resolve, that much, you, you know, strength? Uh, well, for 20, for people that don't know me, for 25 years, I, I've worked with millionaires and billionaires and I launched the world's leading experiential concierge firm. I'm responsible for things you've probably seen on TV, like sending civilians down to the Titanic, putting them up in space, having them sing on stage with our favorite rock star, closing down museums in Florence, getting people married in the Vatican. That's what I did. But it wasn't because I liked the experiences. I wanted a reason to engage with billionaires. Because right. as a bricklayer from East London, I didn't know anyone successful. All I knew was bikers and bricklayers. That was the only thing I knew. And most of those weren't going anywhere. Right. So I wanted to be able to chat with successful people. So I used this job as a Trojan horse to go, hey, why are you successful and I'm not? How do you look at that problem? How are you fixing that? How are you pivoting when everyone's not? And why are you pivoting? All those kind of questions. Today, we have podcasts. Back then, we didn't, back in the 90s. So I was having these things called conversations. Yeah. Um, and I suddenly found out people have a different mindset. Successful, no one, no one gets rich, okay? And this is going to alienate. No one gets wealthy. They get successful and the richness and the wealthy is a byproduct of a successful mentality. Absolutely. That's why so many lottery winners commit suicide or go bankrupt. Because yeah. they don't know the first thing, which is a successful mindset. And a successful mindset comes from an experience and education. And experience and education is only gained when things go wrong. Yeah. So as a kid growing up, Everything went wrong for me. I tried jobs that I couldn't do. I tried to get in rooms that I was kicked out of. You know, I learned all of this education on how to do it. And then I started working for wealthy people and started going, ah, you don't see, you don't see about repairing the wheel. You first of all will ask yourself, why do I need that in the first place? I'm not going to repair it if I don't use it, bin it. Yeah. Where too many people focus on the problem. Yes. You know? Successful people focus on the usage. Do I need that? You know? Um, and so I started adapting my, my mindset. But I will say that I think probably one of my greatest assets is, is growing up with, with, you know, I can't say poor. Shall we just say financially challenged? Um, and the reason I differentiate that is because I was always safe. I was always fed. I was always loved. I was always protected. You know, I learned the, the, uh, the benefit of an honest day's work, but we had no money. I was 18 years old before I got my first takeaway because having food delivered to our house, that's what other people do. You know, we don't do that. We can't afford that, you know? And what you didn't eat on your plate was going to be heated up for the following night's meal. So I was financially challenged, but mentally I wasn't poor, you know? And I, I think that aggravation... Um, and that kind of yearning to find out how other people have other things, I think that was my godsend. I think I grew up yeah. aggravated and curious. And when you're aggravated and curious, your eyes and your pupils open. 
and you notice things quicker and you can react to them. So I think it's the cloud, I'm waffling here, but it's the classic yellow car syndrome. Okay. Someone drives up to your house and you look at them and you go, that's an interesting color. I've never seen a yellow car before. And then what do you see on the highway the following day? The only thing you can see. Yellow cars. Yellow cars. <laughs> Everyone's got a sodden yellow car. It's the only bloody car on the highway. Because you've been opened to that color. When you're open to opportunities, you see them everywhere. So when yes. COVID hit, I suddenly saw ping, 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 ping. I saw need. I saw necessity. I saw lack of tolerance. I saw problems. I saw complaints which all translate to opportunity, 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 opportunity. Yeah. And I jumped in where I could on them. I love that. I love the way you differentiate poor and financially challenged. I've never looked at it like that before. Oh, my gosh. And like- I didn't. I didn't. I have to say that, you know, in my, in my early teens, I just thought we were poor. You know, we had no money, so therefore we were poor. It wasn't until my early 20s that I realized I'd been getting up for work at four o'clock in the morning. I was going home at night, eight o'clock at night. Now I suddenly realized I'd been taught hard work. I remember one day as a bricklayer, someone said to me, you know, can you build a little wall around my garden? And I was like, yeah, I could. and I priced it out. And then when I built it, I realized that I had underpriced it and it was going to cost me 50 quid which was a lot of money yeah. because I've underpriced it. So I went to my dad and I said, Dad, I've underpriced this. I didn't allow for X, Y, Z. Not only am I making no money, I've actually lost 50 quid. How do I go back to the owner and tell him that actually it's going to cost you £100 more so that I cover my 50 and I make 50? And he said, you don't. You've just been taught how to do invoices. I was like, oh, God, and I hated that moment, but it's always stuck with me. So it was. I bet it has. Yeah. And so now in my early 20s, I'm thinking to myself, I actually had one hell of an education. So that's when I suddenly started realizing there was a difference between being financially challenged and being poor. If you're unloved, unprotected, you're, you're hungry, yeah, okay, you're poor, okay? But I never had those elements. We just didn't have money. So we didn't have the dollar signs. I agree. I had a very similar upbringing and that's what's making me, it's given me a huge insight actually because I've always referred to it as being poor growing up. But in truth, it's exactly the same. I was always loved. I was always, always had food every day. Always, you know, had everything I needed around me, an amazing family around me. And, you know, people say to me, well, you had a really tough upbringing. I did. I used to be Glasgow. I grew up in Glasgow, right? It was, it was tough growing up in Glasgow, as I'm sure it was in London. And, but when I tell people, but I had an amazing childhood. And they go, well, it doesn't sound like it. <laughs> you yeah. Know? But like you yeah, say, I, it's I tried telling my kids lessons. that. Yeah. It's all of those lessons to bring, that bring you to who you are. And I totally agree. Like, if you grow up in that environment, you have to be aware of the opportunities. I remember, geez, anything that I could do to make money. I mean, I even would deliver newspapers during the week, newspapers on a Sunday, getting up at five o'clock in the morning, delivering newspapers. I even bought a paper round from somebody else for £53 at the time, which again, like you say, way back then was a lot. 
And she didn't want to do it. And I knew it was a good area. And I knew they were building more houses. And I knew they were more wealthy people, right? So I would pay her. I would deliver the paper every Sunday and pay her the money until the £53 was paid, you know. And sure enough, they built more houses. And I got great tips at Christmas. And I got, you know, it paid off. And it's one of those things. Like, I think I was like 12 or 13 at the time. You know, I think growing up tough like that does make you curious and does make you want to change things for sure. Yeah, yeah, it does. It's an it's an asset if you can see it as an asset. You can see it as a hindrance, but when you see something as a hindrance and an anchor and a restriction, it becomes validated as such. If you can look at it and go, hang on a minute, let's see how this is an opportunity you suddenly start reflecting on it with a positive mind. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So in your, in your background, while you were, you were going through all of these things, did you have resistance from the people around you or were you pretty much supported? Oh, you went in deep. Um, my father died a few years ago. I never spoke to him since I think the age of 21. Um, and I've never spoken to my mum since either. Uh, the thing was, my family are an Irish family of bricklayers. They felt that I was turning my back on the family business, and they had an attitude of, you think you're better than us. And I used to say to them, I don't think I'm better than you, but I think I'm better than this. I can do something different. And... They never accepted it. There's, there's nothing more stubborn than, than an Irish, Irish mother. Um, and uh, so you can't pick your, your family. And sometimes those holding you back or anchoring you down to that myth, misconceptions, um, can be those you need to cut off even when it's your parents. Um, and while I'm very sad about that, I couldn't allow that to be a detriment to my family because what would have been successful for them would be for me to still be living in that neck of the woods and to still be going over there for Sunday lunch and for still to be working as a bricklayer and for not to be doing what I'm doing now. And that just makes no sense. Um, You know, relationship-wise, yes, it hurts, but you've got to get rid of those crabs out of your life. Those people that sit there and go... You couldn't do that, are terrified that you will and reveal how inadequate that they are to do it. And that's where it is. So for me, I went out searching for successful people with successful minds, not to be rich and wealthy, but as that as a byproduct. It's like people buy a diet book and go, well, I bought the book, I'm going to lose weight. It's the action, my friend, that needs everything. So I went out there to find out what actions I needed to take, and I took them. Yeah, the success and the money, the wealth is, is is a domino effect of the amount of action, the amount of effort and energy that you put in. I always say this. Yeah. Um, I, again, I, I'm I'm in awe because I resonate with your with what you're saying so much. I was the same. I don't speak to most of my family at all. And I had the exact same attitude. You think you're better than what you are. My father would say, You forget where you come from. You know, you you just think you're this and that. It's like, well, why would I need to forget where I come from in order to go to where I want to go, right? 
Yeah. And again, same attitude. Most of my family still live exact same area, doing exact same thing. You know, as members of my family worked in the same factory for, I don't know. And listen, that makes them happy. Like you say, that's their level of success. That's fine. But I was constantly told, you can't do this. You can't do that. You need to stop dreaming these crazy things. You need to just get a job. You need to just settle yourself down. You need to just stop being, you know, stupid. And well, we know how the story, <laughs> the story has panned out, right? Yep. <laughs> so would you say that you have taken a lot of criticism in your life for the way that you've, you know, the decisions that you've made and the way you've gone about things? I have to say probably, but I didn't hear it. Um, and I think there's, there's, there's guaranteed people you mentioned about earlier about people hate you. There are people in the world that love you regardless. You can walk into a room and they're going to go, I love you. You're great. You're my kind of person. They're going to love you. There are going to be people that I guarantee hate us, hate me. Okay. I don't care. Okay. It's those people on the fence that I worry about. Kick them off, kick them over, kick them in, whatever. But you've got to make sure that you get them on the right side of the fence by being impossible to misunderstand. And those people that have stood there on the other side of the fence or in the world that we're in today, on the, in, in the comfort and security of their home with their phone looking at you on Instagram going, you think you're all that. Yeah. I don't care. So yeah. I'm absolutely positive I've got um, abuse. I'm positive I've got hatred. I know I've got hate mail. And it just does this. It just gives me a grin because <laughs> I, I, I had a friend of mine say to me a while ago, be so successful you have haters. Yeah. All right. <laughs> it's so true, though. You, when someone's annoyed at you or pissed off at you or whatever, then I have to say we're doing something right. Uh, exactly. The second someone starts throwing stones, brilliant. Thank you very much for the confirmation. Absolutely. You know, if I'm ruffling your feathers, then maybe you ought to go and sit and look in a mirror, you know, and sit and, and reflect uh, about a few things. Because just like you said, I'm living my life. I, I'm, I'm not caring what yep. you think or don't think of me. In fact, there's a great saying that Lisa Nichols says, your opinion of me is none of my business. <laughs> I just, I absolutely love that, right? Um, and you know, you, you, there's always a choice in life of whether you react to something or whether you just continue and keep being happy and keep being more successful, right? Yep. What's the best piece of advice you would give to anybody who struggles a little bit with whether people like them or don't like them? So I have a little saying that opinions are like arseholes. Everyone's got one. Um, and so you've got to really look at the source. You know, if I've got Elon Musk talking to me about my technology platform, I'm going to listen. Yeah. If I've got Roger on the end of the bar stall in the local, you know, pig and pen telling me about technology, I can't even hear you, mate. So you've really got to look at the source of, of when you gather your information. 
Today, that's actually way more important than it's ever been. Today, we're in a world, especially with Instagram, where you can lean up against a card that you don't own. Yeah. Sell your $299 course, you know? We're in a bullshit economy. Yeah. So you've really got to turn around and go, okay, you're selling a course on what? Where did you come from? How did you get that information? How many times have you failed in order to get that education? You've got to look at the source. If someone's giving you shit, just look at them. You know, and they sat there with their 23 followers going, oh, why listen? Why listen? Yeah, absolutely. I'm a big believer of, as you said earlier, some people will just either like you, you'll walk in a room, they'll love you, they're vibrating at your level, they like your energy, and some just don't. And that's as simple as that. And for me personally, if they don't like it, that's great. Move along so that the next person that does like my energy and will get help from me and will find what I'm saying useful to them. You don't have to listen to me. There's many, many other people out there that you can listen to, right? That's right. That's right. Yep. Yeah. But I love your style. You're um, no bullshit, straightforward, straight, you know, talking. And again, we're very similar in that respect. My clients tell me that I kick their ass and love them all in one one little fail swoop, (laughs) which is really nice. Um, So when you work with the kind of clients like Elton John, um, Elon Musk, these kind of guys, do you still keep the same same demeanor, the same kind of attitude? That's a stupid question. Why wouldn't I? You know that. You knew that question before you even asked it. I, I discovered many, many years ago that it's really easy to be me. Yeah. So therefore, I can devote all of my effort and energy in solving the problem you have. And here's another little thing for you, which you know a lot of people that know me know me, and those that don't, you know, don't for the obvious reason. I don't have a car. I haven't had a car for centuries. I started my life on motorcycles. I'm now living here in Los Angeles, and I've got a garage of I think like twelve or fifteen. I only ride motorcycles. I will travel to another country, I'm not going to Avis. I'm getting a motorbike and I'm riding around on a bike. I love the the, the, the detraction from the planet when I'm on a motorcycle. I can't, get, I can't have a cup of coffee. I've got no radio on the bike. I can't take a phone call. For those few moments I'm on two wheels, I'm isolated away from the planet. You can't even do that on a plane anymore because of Wi-Fi. So I love being on a bike. I will turn up to Elton John Crash helmet in hand, throw it on the desk. Right, what are we doing? You know? So I travel everywhere. So I am 100% me on this podcast in front of my clients walking down the street. Uh, It's just, it takes zero effort. So true. It's so true. What would you say to people that are listening that struggle with really bringing their whole essence to those around them and to, to the world in general? Stop giving the world a disservice. Stop lying and being rude, okay? The bottom line of it is everyone tries to get into business, and the first thing they do is, well, I need to look at my USP. I need to be unique. I need to be. I need to stand out. Guess what, fella? You stood out the second you were born. 
You look, sound, walk, think differently. If you stop trying to brand yourself, your clients will brand you. If you turn up as you, people will identify you. That's your brand. That will stand out. And no one that did anything great did it by following other people. So don't be rude. You've got this talent. You've got this energy. You've got this personality. Try and be you. The second you find yourself altering it to get that other checkbook, that other client, you're selling yourself out. Stop it. Stand back up as you. And if they don't resonate, then they weren't meant to be. Now, I know that sounds hard. And a lot of people are, I need the money. Fine. Sell yourself to the dollar, to the devil until you're paying the mortgage payment. But once the mortgage payment's paid with that bad client, only take good ones until you're in a position where you can get rid of the bad ones. That's so cool. I like it. So what would you say is the biggest challenge that you have in your life right now? There's only one challenge that will, that will ever appear, and that's time. Um, you know, I can make more money. I can gain more clients. I can write more books. You know, I can do all of those things, but I'm always going to run out of time. At the end of the day, the lights are going to go off and I'm going to have to sleep. So I think my focus is always, and this is what I was taught by some of the people I dealt with, I always focus on how can I make this hour the most impactful? How can I make what I'm doing today create a footprint or a wave that's going to continue? So I always look at doing something when it works. How can I systematize it and optimize it to continue it? You know, so that I can relax off of it, but the impact keeps driving. So I really focus on how many minutes are left in my life? I, I, it's not a negative. Yeah. But I actually, I, I think I'm near death. Um, I'm 55 years old. There's nothing wrong with me. But I could die tomorrow. So I'm not going to waste it. Um, you know, like last, last weekend, someone said to me, and I, as I say, I live in uh, Southern California. Someone said to me, hey, we've got a, a VIP track day on motorcycles at Laguna Seca, which is a five-hour drive for you, do you want to come on Monday? And I was like, yeah, because I'll be dead Tuesday. I'm there. <laughs> you know? And um, I went up and I rode motorcycles around a racetrack at 165 miles an hour, um, wore myself out, slept heavily that night, and then took a long drive home with my wife. You know? I'm at an event tomorrow, Okay. Riding a motorcycle, if I had fallen off and gone in hospital, I would have screwed that event up. But I don't know I'm going to make it to that event. Something may happen to me on the drive down there. So I'm not trying to be morbid. But when you start playing that you're dead in 24 hours, you start using the time you have a little bit more constructively. It's so true. It's so true. I do an exercise with my clients, actually, and talk about that very thing. What would you do if actually you knew that you were dying? Yeah, and there it's you go. amazing. It's, <laughs> it's actually amazing the transformation that comes out of it. The bullshit that we would no longer sweat anymore, and the you know the the yep. stuff that's no longer important any longer. And the people that are no longer important. When you start selfish, like here's the thing: when was the last time you got on a plane and the steward or stewardess? 
um, turned around and said, hey, in the case of an emergency, put your oxygen mask on someone else first before you. It's never, never been said, has it? In never. the case of an emergency, hey, look after yourself because until you're strong, you can't look after other people. Until you're safe, you have no use to anyone else. So start valuing yourself in that exact same situation. In the case of an emergency, and today's an emergency, are you strong enough to be able to look after other people? Or are you just giving all your gas and oxygen away? That makes no sense. Oh, I love that. Absolutely love that. So what was the situation in your life that made you strong enough to take care of yourself first? Aggravation. You know, <laughs> you know it's, it's just entrepreneurs are aggravated oysters. You know, they always say it's an aggravated oyster that makes pearls. Uh, that was Joe Polish that said that, not me. Um, I grew up aggravated. You know, Elon Musk openly said that he could not understand why it took five days for one U.S. bank to wire money to another U.S. bank because the money doesn't move. It's just code. So why yeah. does it take five days? And he invented PayPal. You know, why is it so hard to get up in space? Invented SpaceX. Why do we spend so much money on fuel and mechanics on a car? Let's invent a car that doesn't use either of those. So his aggravation created opportunities. So for me, I just grew up going, I don't like being financially restricted. I don't like not having opportunities. I don't like talking to people that have no future or passion for a future. So all of my aggravation created a world that I wanted to live in. Yeah. Yeah. It sounds very simple, doesn't it? And isn't it always, isn't, look, I'm not the sharpest tool in the, in the shed, but a hammer is just as impactful. So <coughs> I focus on what I can do and how I can benefit from it. And when I benefit, other people benefit. Awesome. I really love that. It, and I find it amazing how how people fight for the limitations so fiercely instead of actually fighting for the opportunities that, that could be out there. That's just people. I'm, I'm always amazed. If you say to someone, hey, if you could do anything, what would it be? They would say something like, you know, oh, I'd play piano with Sir Elton John. But then they quickly go, oh, but I can't play piano. And, you know, why would he play piano? I don't even know Elton John. People will spend two seconds saying what they want and then we'll spend the next two minutes telling you why it can't happen. Yeah. Why don't you just say what you want to do, shut up, and then ask yourself, why shouldn't it? Yeah. So what's your way of getting people to actually change their thinking and view life like that? So I, I do, uh, in my coaching, uh, I do as much possible to get people uncomfortable, okay? We all know that you need a pattern interrupt. You're not going to create a pattern interrupt by doing the same thing tomorrow that you did yesterday and yeah. then expecting a change. So you've got to change your environment, change your persona. That could be something like, hey, for today, don't wear shoes. Just wear socks, no shoes. Hey, we're at home today. Today, do all of your work naked, you know? Change your environment, change your position, change your mentality, but change and do it from an uncomfortable position. I had a client of mine that wanted to do uh, presentations and he always got nervous. 
we went to jail. I actually take three times a year, I take people to a level four maximum security prison and they converse with what's called entrepreneurs in training. That's felons that are on uh, up to life sentences, in some cases, multiple life sentences, where they took the wrong direction in their life, but they don't want that to be the defining factor. And some of these people are now getting degrees in prison, and they want to do something more encouraging. They're writing books. They're educating other inmates, you know? And I put them in a very uncomfortable, my entrepreneurs, situation that they never normally would be in. Yeah. That they go out and all of a sudden now hosting that Monday morning meeting with 12 with our colleagues singing, hang on a minute. Last week I was in a maximum security prison with like 40 inmates. This is nothing. So I changed your position and perspective of what is stressful. And so that's what I do. I get you comfortable with being uncomfortable. Nice. I love it. I absolutely love it. My coach always talks about that in coaching situations. Get very comfortable with being uncomfortable. Yeah. Yep. Yep. That's what we do. Yeah, that is what we do. What would you say is the most uncomfortable position you've put a client in? I'm intrigued to know. Deepest. Um, See that 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 can change. Yeah, like if I if I took you to a prison for the day, that could make you uncomfortable. Okay, making you talk to someone in a coffee bar could make you uncomfortable. You see this? That's if you want to, if you want to get arrested quickly, talk to someone in a in Starbucks. Now that sounds stupid, but it's the cappuccino shuffle. People walk up to the barista. They order their drink, they pay for it, then they step to the side while the drink's being made, and the first thing they do is get their phone out. Yeah. Because God forbid they could stand there in silence for two minutes waiting for their coffee. They have to see who's commenting on their posts on Facebook. <laughs> if you step up to them and you go, hey, how's your day doing? They will look at you like you are a serial rapist. They will be like, what are you doing trying to start a conversation with me? You know, (laughs) you've got two heads. You're a monster. You know, they look at you strangely. I've taken people into into Starbucks and I've gone, right, order your coffee after that person and then start a conversation for 60 seconds. (laughs) And it's an uphill battle. (laughs) It really is. Well, you think about it this way. When you answer the phone, you answer the phone with one hand. Yeah. When you're you're in a coffee bar, you hold the phone with two hands, okay? Because that's how you type as well. Yeah. If if you remove the phone from that grip, it's now the same as a boxer's stance. Your elbows (laughs) are in, your fists are up. It's a very defensive position when you hold a phone with two hands, okay? Yeah. Same position. Mentally, you are in a defensive position when someone approaches you because you've got your guard up. Absolutely. If the other person can get you into a conversation, what happens to that guard? It goes down. It's a crazy thing to do, but try it. 
You want to risk getting arrested? <laughs> try, strike up a conversation, your next Starbucks. I love it. Well, we don't currently have Starbucks in Barbados, but I'll have to improvise. <laughs> Do it in a coffee shop. It'd be the same shit. They'll order yeah. a coffee and then they will stand there and they'll... The world over, nobody can just stand there without their phone for two minutes. It's so true. So true. I mean, back before we had mobile phones, people talk about letting their mind settle and having space and everyone's so stressed and running around. And I always say, just give yourself some time to let your mind settle, let your self-breathe, just have time. Back in the day before we had mobile phones, we had inbuilt time, yeah. space for our brains, you know, because we would have to queue, like you say, at the coffee shop or in the bank or in the post office. And we didn't have a phone to, to you know, so you would have conversations with people. You would. You would have connection, you know, or failing that time to actually just stand there in silence. But the trouble is, those little insignificant, how's your day going? Oh, you've dropped something on the floor. Hey, what time does the next bus turn up? Those little insignificant conversations kept us practiced, kept us polished. Now that we don't have those, people will wait for a bus or a train and no one will converse, Yeah, which we, means we're losing the ability to strike up a conversation. Yeah. Now, marry that to the position we're in today where it's been scientifically proven kids have more, um, uh, more verbiage. They have more vocal time spent with Siri and Alexa than they do their best mate. They will meet their best mate twice, three times a month, and they'll have an hour-long conversation. But every day they're going, hey, Siri, how do I get this? Siri, wake me up at 7 o'clock. Siri, turn the lights on. Alexa, put the music on. Add those two seconds of time up. They're spending more time communicating with AI than they are their friend. Yeah. That's scary. That is scary, actually. It's very scary, um, the lack of connection on the planet today. It really is. Yep. Do you think that COVID has made us more mindful of connection or more fearful of connection? Look, I'm not a religious guy, but I'm wondering if this was a slap for us. And for a lot of people like you, like me, it's been that final, hey, this is your last chance. Can you please, for God's sake, see what's happening? And for a lot of us, we've gone, whoa. We were losing connection when Friendster was built. Social platforms are not. We need to have communication. And COVID has tried to give us a final jitter that we need to pay attention to it. But with all good things, most people won't see it. Most people will be like, oh, I'm glad COVID's over. I can get back to my normal ways, <laughs> which were not good. So I think there's a lot of people, those people that can recognize things, those people that constantly have their eyeballs open to opportunity, those people will get stronger. I know I have. I know I can't wait to do more when I can. Um, 
and we'll be great. But then isn't that always the way in any battle? People that know how to fight, fight and become stronger and become more educated and get a few scars along the way. Yeah. But for a lot of people, this time next year, they'll still be posting on Facebook, what can I binge watch on Netflix? But the thing is, if I see that on my Facebook postings, those friends are deleted. Okay? Because that's not the mindset I want. Yeah, it's so true. I have to say I have very little people. I mean, I don't really use social media personally. Business-wise, of course, yeah. But personally, I, I could do without it, to be perfectly honest. But I don't have to say don't really have people on my feet that, that have that mentality, thank goodness. But um, I will be yep. sure to delete them if I ever do see any from now on <laughs> instead of just ignore them. Yeah, Steve, get them ask- out of your life. Yeah. Let me ask you this question. Do you think that... I mean, given COVID and all the challenges and and the trauma that's happened, do you think there's anything that can really wake up those people to life and the abundance of life and the the abundance of what could really truly be for them? So let let me rebut that question with a question, okay? Do I care? You know, those people that are asking what they should binge watch on Netflix, they're never going to attain me to coach them. They're never going to hang out with me in a bar. They're never going to go into a relationship with me. They're not my people. So do I care? You know, those people that have just had the planet tell them, They need to look after themselves more and they need to focus on relationships. And they can't even see that as a freaking sign. (laughs) Do I want them in my universe? Do I care? Let's be harsh. Do I care if half of those people are wiped off of the face of this universe and replaced with people that care about each other, that want to have a conversation and want to create more impact in the planet? I'm going to be horrible. Let them go. Let them be be removed from the planet and replaced with impactful people that want to do some good. I agree. I agree. But I asked that question because it's a question that I've been asked a few times recently. Uh, You know, people say, don't you want to help everyone? I say, no, actually, I don't want to help everyone. It does sound horrible. When, When they hear it from you so straightforward, they say, well, that's horrible. That's nasty. It's not. Because we go back to the old phrase, you can take a horse to water, but you can't make it drink. I'm the same as you. I want people in my world. (laughs) I want people in my world that actually want to change, that actually want to put the work in. Like you say, that want to care, that want to make an impact. In fact, I personally only work with clients who want to make an impact in the world and want to change something in the world. That's my stipulation for people that I work with, right? Um, And and that's what fulfills me and makes me happy. But people say, well, but can't you help people that maybe perhaps aren't in that space but would like to kind of get to that? No. (laughs) No. If they want want 
to get to that space. They're the kind of people that are open to change. And yeah. yes, we're there. They always say that the, 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 the teacher will appear when the student's ready. Yeah. So for those people that want to change, hey, I'll help you. I'll phone you. I'll oh. you. You could be part of my face, but whatever. I'm there for you. But for those people sitting on the guidelines going, when's my next handout? When's my next kind of like stimulus check? What can I watch on Netflix? Oh, my God, this life is so boring. I hate it. Please disappear. Yeah, I'm the same. Uh, Exactly that. If someone really wants to change, then they will put the work in. My experience is if someone's half-hearted and they think they want to change, but they don't really put effort into it and they don't really have a vision... My experience, because I've been there, I've done that. I've had clients that say they want to do the work, but then don't do it. And I fired their asses because it frustrates the living daylights out of me. And again, we can't come from a place where, you know, we teach people to create a life instead of living a default future, create your future, where we're not creating what we want. And I certainly don't want to get up every day and deal with people where I'm having to coax them, I'm having to hold their hand, I'm having to, you know, push them to to do the work that we've spoken about or make the changes that they know they need to make. It drives me nuts. Yep, 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 exactly. And I don't want to wake up every day and be driven nuts. So we're almost up to the top of the hour, Steve. This has been awesome. Honestly, I've really loved this um, conversation. I don't think I've quite coached you, but anyway, I'll let myself off on that one. Um, What would you say in closing is your number one goal for the rest of your life? To not waste it. You know, I've already told you my perspective of time. Um, I'm having a conversation with you. I'm then going to go and do something else that I like. You know, I'm just, I'm very selfish to my hours. Um, and I'm not going to, I'm not going to trivialize or disrespect them by wasting them. So my, my idea is to see what impact I can create, whether it be my business, whether it be somebody else's business. It's all about the impact. Yeah. Do you have any big projects in the works right now? There's such thing as a big project versus a small project. <laughs> Yeah, don't small projects become big projects of once course. you gain momentum. <laughs> so, you know, my uh, my goal is I have a I have a saying that basically should be tattooed on my other arm. You know, get going, then get good. You know, too many people plan themselves to death. So I'm like, I like that, bing, and I go and do it, yeah. and I fail, and I make mistakes, and then I can focus on getting good. So. I try to get all of my clients to stop planning, start, start doing. Oh my gosh. Were we just born like with, with the same parents or the same like energy or something like that? Must have been, must same. have been. We were separated at birth somewhere in the hospital. <laughs> I'm the same. I will have an idea today and by tomorrow I've already, <laughs> yeah, it's already, already done. started. <laughs> and I'm constantly being told by people, don't you have to plan a bit. Take your time, slow down a bit. You have to, you know, make sure it'll work. If, if it works, awesome. If it doesn't, I'll learn a few lessons. Thank you very much. Yeah. Right. 
<laughs> oh my gosh, Steve, thank you so much. Um, this has been awesome. Thank you. And a great example of an undeniable leader. Thank you so much for being part of this planet and for Thank putting you. your energy out to the people who need it. And I look forward to growing this relationship a bit more. Thank you so much. Take care. Sometimes change can take time. And sometimes your thinking changes faster than you can imagine. You have been listening to The Undeniable Leader with Michelle Marguerite Marquez. It wasn't called coaching for most of history. It was called leadership. And it's what I love to do. Coaching people to lead with purpose and challenge people's thinking. If you'd like more of this, please subscribe to the show and follow us. If you'd like to learn more, about our community of incredible top performers, go to www.theundeniableleader.co.uk.